Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come into this new year, we come into this season of epiphany, and we spend time learning about our Savior. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive. Let us be changed to be more like him by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, having children and having numerous children, therefore going through them at young ages over and over again, um, I ran across a joke that I want to begin with that you will especially appreciate if you are a parent who has gone through little kids. They have a tenacity about them and a knack for just going at you over and over again. Here's the joke. A little kid gets on a steady bus, and he sits right behind the driver, and he starts talking loudly. If my dad were a bull and my mom a cow, I'd be a little bull. The driver, after a while, gets annoyed as the kid continues to yammer on. If my dad was a rooster and my mom a hen, I would be a little chick. The kid just goes on and on with every animal he seems to know when finally the bus driver at a stop turns his head and basically yells at the kid, what if your dad was a bum and your mom was a drunk? And the kid smiles and says, I'd be a bus driver. (laughs) Now, I say that not just to get a chuckle, But we're beginning a series, and I'm going to ask this question with all reverence and all seriousness, even though coming on the heels of that joke, it may not sound like it. What if your dad were God and your mom were a virgin from Nazareth? What would you be? You see, the season of Epiphany is the season of Revelation. It's the season where Jesus reveals himself to the world, where the Magi come and they show that he is something far more than just a baby being born. And all the way through the season, that's the goal. Can we see him for who he is? And this is my hope for this six-week series. And I speak to a group of folks many of whom, if not all of whom, have been going to church for a long time. Some of you were raised in the church. Some of you, it's six decades, seven decades, you've been going to church. You know a lot about Jesus. I know a lot about Jesus. The question is, have we internalized it? Does our knowledge impact how we live, how we think, what we value. You see, the goal in this series is not necessarily to teach you a whole bunch of new things, although I imagine there'll be a few points where you might be like, oh, I didn't know that. But I think a lot of it will be, I know that. The question is, do we know it? Is it doing something? That's what we want from this series, for all of us, me included. So, To dive in, open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. 
It is page 1424, if you're in the Pew Bible. Two things to look at this morning as we consider who Jesus is. Mark chapter 1, page 1424 in those Pew Bibles. And we will go right to where our gospel reading was. Um, And really throughout this series, we're essentially going to walk through the first chapter of the gospel of John. Um, We've got one tangent, but basically we're just going verse by verse through the Gospel of John, through that first chapter. So starting in verse 4, here's my first question as we consider who Jesus is. How important or significant is Jesus? And I know, like, as a Christian, you're like, well, I mean, he's the Son of God, he's my Savior, he's everything, we worship him. Okay. How significant is he really in practice? Verse 4. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. It's interesting. He's just kind of there. We get no indication of what was happening before this. It has been approximately 30 years. Um, He does not seem to have had some big, like, campaign. There's no social media thing going on for John. He just shows up in the wilderness. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's a prophet. That much we know from the quotation above this. He's a prophet and he's preaching things that prophets preach. We need repentance. We need people to turn from their ways. Now look at verse 5. What I want you to see is how significant John is. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. That's a lot of people. Throughout the Judean countryside, all throughout Jerusalem, they all went out to him. Hey, think about that. He's a prophet who is not going into Jerusalem to get people's attention. He is out in the wilderness somewhere. And everybody is going to him. They are all walking away from their jobs for a little bit, whatever. They're all going out to him. How significant is John that he draws that kind of crowd? Not only that, they are confessing their sins. That is somewhat of a given in a way. Because prophets often were calling people back to God. So you might expect them to go out and confess their sins. But it's the next part. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. That may not sound like much to a Christian because that's part of what we do. You get baptized. That was not a Jewish practice unless you were a Gentile converting to Judaism. This is essentially what Gentiles did, not what Jews do. What kind of humbling experience is it to have this man in the wilderness do what is done for Gentiles as you confess? John is truly significant. And honestly, I think the next part even says something. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Um, He does not look like the guy that should be drawing crowds. Um, He is wearing like these terrible, awful things, and he's eating locusts, and it doesn't matter. He is so significant, no matter what he looks like, they are all still coming to him. How significant is John? I'm going to give you a couple of names to think about significance. And you just tell me, don't tell me, 
don't shout it, just think it, how significant these people are. Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Aristotle, Martin Luther, Einstein, Taylor Swift. No, seriously. <laughs> um, if you've not followed Taylor Swift, I'm, let me just give you a little bit. Um, this year, excuse me, last year, 2023, Taylor Swift set the record for the most money ever made by a tour. Over a billion dollars. Prior to that, it was Elton John. He was like 950 million. But it took him 368 concerts. She only did 60. And she's not done. The tour is still going. Um, it is insane the amount of money she has brought in. Not only that, it's not just money. And like we can, we can go through records she is breaking. But it's also the power she has. I'll give you an example. In 2015, after her 1989 album launched, she threatened to pull it from Apple Music because Apple Music, without any form of talks with artists, they were giving a three-month trial. They would not pay artists for songs streamed during that three months. But most artists, you know, it's Apple Music. What are you going to do? It's Apple. You don't do anything. Taylor Swift threatened to pull her music. The very next day, Apple changed their policy. And Eddie Q, who was the senior VP for Internet Services, tweeted this. When I woke up this, when I woke up this morning and I saw what Taylor had written, it really solidified that we needed a change. She is significantly influential right now. And you can talk about the NFL, all kinds of things that she is influencing. Okay, think about those names. That was John the Baptist in his day. He was drawing the crowds. He was getting people to do things they would never have done because he was that significant. So what does it mean when somebody that significant says this? Go back into your text and look at verse 7. This was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Right? That is what a slave did. So you think about their culture. They walk around either barefoot or in sandals. Their feet were nasty. Do you know what was in the streets? Everything. Trash, refuse, it was all there. So to come into somebody's home and to remove the sandals is something a slave would do. John says, no matter how significant I am, I'm not even worthy to perform the job of a slave for the one who is to come. How significant is the one who is to come if John isn't even worthy to do the job of a slave for him? And he says one specific thing. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, what I'm doing is significant. I'm baptizing you with water for the forgiveness of sins to get you on the right path. It's a very humbling experience meant to change your life and prepare you for the Messiah. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, you might imagine, anyone ever dug a hole with a shovel? I'm assuming most of you have at some point, or at least, yeah, imagine digging a hole with a shovel, and then your next door neighbor drives up with a tractor. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the first thing I want you to just kind of really think about. Jesus is probably far more significant than you ever realized. He is the most important person who has ever walked the face of the earth. And ironically, even Time Magazine knows that. So every year they do the, the 100 people of the year. So like the 100 people of 2023 just came out, the top 100 people. And what they're referring to is the people who've had the most significance. Well, about a decade ago, they did the top 100 people in history, like period. Those names I gave you, um, number 19 was Einstein. Number 17 was Martin Luther. Number eight was Aristotle. Number six was George Washington. Number five was Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Taylor wasn't on that one. Um, she probably would be now. Um, number one was Jesus Christ. And part of their rationale was this. A third of our world still tries to follow the teachings of a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Not to mention the impact he's had on education, medicine, science, all of it. How significant is he? He is the most important person who has ever lived. Here's the personal question for you. And, and again, I want you to go home and think about this. How important is he to you and your everyday life? That is the real question. Because we can say it all we want, but if he's not actually that significant to me in my life, I don't know how much it really means and how much we are missing when he's not. So, first thing about Jesus. He's the most significant person who has ever lived. How significant is he to you, really? Second question I want to ask is this. What was the most important thing to the most important person in the world? Look back at the text. Verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, there is so much in that verse. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Mark specifically brings this out. He came from Nazareth. What do we know about Nazareth even from Scripture? We know the comment that Nathaniel makes. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, this is like, no, you don't want to come from Nazareth. You know what we have no record of whatsoever? Jesus never tries to rewrite where he's from. Not once do we see him like, oh, God, i got to hide this. People know I'm from Nazareth. Nobody's going to take me seriously. I mean, this is like just a terrible place. Um, no, no, I'm actually from Jerusalem. Um, I spent some time in Nazareth, but really I'm, because that's where real people come from, prophets. And, but he, he doesn't seem to care that that's his background. You know what else he doesn't seem to care about? He was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
There are two things to that. Number one, John knows how significant Jesus is, or at least as much as he can. Because in other Gospels, what we know is when Jesus comes to him to get baptized, John goes, oh, no way. There's no way I'm going to baptize you. You need to baptize me. And yet, Jesus goes, no, you baptize me. And the second part of it is that not only does he let someone less significant than him baptize him, but that he gets baptized at all. I mean, what are all these people thinking? Once they find out, wait a minute, the Messiah, the one who's supposed to come rescue us, he's from Nazareth and he, was, he let himself be baptized? Are you kidding me? Again, he doesn't care. Those things are not that important to him. Now, how important are they to us? How important is where you come from? What your education is? What your job is? Where you live? Let me ask it in a broader way. How important is it to you what other people think of you? How often does that alter what you do? Have you ever left something out of your story because you thought it might be embarrassing or people might look down on you if they knew that? And I don't mean like the personal shameful. I just mean like, I don't want people to know that I'm from wherever. Or I don't, you're sitting in a group of people and they all have advanced degrees and you just don't want to mention that you don't. How often do those kinds of things really matter to us? I read this little account Peggy Campolo has a Ph.D. degree. But she decided when she had kids, she wanted to stay home and raise them. This is something that happened to her. Her decision didn't bother her at all, except when other women would ask, what do you do? And she would answer, I'm a homemaker. I stay home, I take care of my children. They all knew she had a Ph.D. They would usually respond with, oh, and then they would just ignore her. So she decided to respond differently. And this became her new response. People would say, so what do you do? She said, I'm socializing two homo sapiens in Ju Ju Judea, Judo, Ju Christian values, so they will appropriate eschatological values of utopia. What do you do? And she said they would often blurt something out and then wander off in a daze. <laughs> it's amazing how important to us certain things are. How important are they to you? Because they seem to matter very little to him. Why? Because something else mattered more. So let me just say, it is okay to want to look nice. It is okay to want to have a good job. It is okay to have money. It's not okay when we need those things to make us who we are. It's not okay when we need those things to make us something else in the eyes of others. Because eventually those things will fail. And there's something Jesus thought more important. Keep reading in the text, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. You might have seen that on the screen when you come, came in. That is our title for this whole series, Heaven Being Torn Open. 
And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. I would argue that is the most important thing to him. That he is loved by the Father as the Son of the Father. That the other things, no matter where they might sit in importance, they pale in comparison to that. That it is his identity. He wants, more than anything else, the driving factor of his life the thing that he falls back on, the thing that gives him confidence to be, I am loved by the Father as his son. Let me show you how important it is. So one of the next things that's going to happen right after his baptism, he's going to go into the wilderness, right? He's going to be tempted by the devil. Do you know what the first two temptations are going to be? If you are the son of God, do this. Because Satan knows what's most important. The temptation is if you are the son. Really? If you're really the son, really loved by the father, then the father only speaks three times throughout the gospels. One time right here that we just read. The next time he speaks, it's at the transfiguration. This is the point where Jesus goes up on the mountain. That some few of the disciples are with him, and, and they will see his glory. But you know what? That moment is in place of chronology. That moment is right after Jesus turns his face to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to the cross. It is the moment where he will enter the hardest part of his life and ministry. And in that moment, do you know what the Father says to him? You are my son whom I love. Because that is the most important thing to Jesus. That is what anchors him. His identity, everything he is, is knowing that love. What is it for you? In all honesty, where do you find your confidence? Where, where do you find the, the ability to be honest with somebody? Where do you find when you are feeling bad about yourself, can you go, I am loved by God. I'm a child of God. That cannot change. All these other things, I'm going to get older and not look as good as I used to. I'm going to get older and start losing brain cells and not be as smart as I used to be. I'm going to walk into a room and no matter how great I am, somebody else is going to be greater. I can leave out all the things I want to that I think aren't great about my past to make myself look good. But at some point, somebody's going to find out. It will never change that you're a beloved child of God. Can that be the thing that you build the rest off of? You see, values have been screwed up. Um... Soren Kierkegaard had a parable. And the parable was about robbers who entered a jewelry store. And they did something strange for robbers. They didn't steal jewelry. They switched price tags. 
They switched high-priced items with low-priced items. And after they did that, they took off. And the next day, the jewelry store opens up for business as usual. And for the next several weeks, folks were buying $10,000 rings for a few dollars. And some were paying thousands of dollars for $9 necklaces. Kierkegaard observed this. My point is obvious, isn't it? The people of my day have no ability to tell the truly valuable from the virtually worthless. It seems that's exactly what the culture is. The stuff our culture thinks is the most important, it can't sustain us. It fails over and over again. It has purpose, but it can't be what we find most valuable or what we build on what we pursue all the time because it's not eternal and every one of us have been at a point where it's failed us. Can we instead make the most important thing the same thing it was to Christ? I'm the beloved child of God. My uh, exhortation is that you say that to yourself every day. My daughter, as part of one of her New Year's resolution thing, is doing a 30-day workout. She has to work out every day for 30 days. That's her, and, and, and different levels of intensity and stuff, but that's her thing, 30 days. Some people are doing dry January as they try to reset. There's these things that we do and, and they often have an impact as long as we will keep with them. I want you to remind yourself every day, I am the beloved child of God. I want you to remind yourself when you come to those moments and you're stressed out. Or you come to those moments when you don't have an answer. Or you come to a moment when you're just nervous about something. I am the beloved child of God. And that doesn't change. I am loved and valued because, and this is where I'll end, there's something that it does. Whatever it is you most value, whatever it is you pursue, not only is that part of the direction that you go and it impacts decisions you make, but it changes you. Whatever it is you're going after, it's changing you. In Chile, there's a prison. It's 180 years old. It's known as the Pen. Currently, it houses about 5,600 inmates and about 300 cats. Would you show this picture? There are some inmates, and there's one of the cats. A lot of the inmates are in cells of about nine men, and each cell has a cat. Go ahead and show the next picture. You can just see that cat right there as the guy's holding it. And it's a great picture because you see the bars. About 5,600 inmates and about 300 cats. Here's some interesting things. The cats have impacted the men. One inmate said about a cat who lives with nine men in their cell. He said, quote, sometimes you'll be depressed and it's like she senses you're a bit down and she comes and glues herself to you. She'll touch her face, 
to yours. They're talking about a cat they originally had to coax out with some food, and yet now he says, quote, she's the owner of this room, she's the boss. Several cellmates each claimed in the interview, no, 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 my bed's her favorite bed. The warden, Helen Gonzalez, said this, the feline's presence has changed the inmate's mood, has regulated their behavior, has strengthened their sense of responsibility with their duties, especially caring for animals. Carlos Nunez, who has served 14 years, he's taken care of multiple cats, and he is holding a two-year-old cat as they're interviewing him. He's smiling. The cat's name is Fita, which translates as ugly, and apparently it is an ugly old cat. And he says, there are companions A cat makes you worry about it, feed it, take care of it, give it special attention. Oh my gosh, they're describing my cat. When we were on the outside and free, we never did this. We discovered it here with the cats. Finally, this is how the the lady ended it, the, the warden. Prisons are hostile places. So, of course, when you see there's an animal giving affection and generating positive feelings, it logically causes a change in behavior, a change in mindset. Here's what's happened. All of these inmates started valuing the cats. They were pursuing these cats. And it's changed them. Because what you most value and what you most pursue begins to become more of who you are. So what is it that you most value? What do you find most significant? For Jesus, always remember this. No matter what you end up coming to in your own life, I want you to remember this. For Jesus, the most significant thing, I'm a beloved child of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for the ways that we can learn from it, be transformed by it, and yet, Lord, it's not enough to hear the word. It's not enough to laugh at a good joke or a bad one. It's not enough to even be excited about what we hear if it doesn't become what we do. And so, Lord, please help each one of us to see what our Savior most valued and to put into practice and make that what we most value and what we build our lives on. In Jesus' holy name, amen.